blessed to see all of you here as we welcome one another to worship here at Glenlock. Uh, our youth have their monthly Connect service today, so if you are a student and would like to exit now and go over there, you certainly have our blessing and permission uh, to do that. If you're visiting with us, welcome to Glenlock today. Uh, fill out a visitor's card. We'd like to have a record of your visit so that we can thank you appropriately for, for being with us. Uh, we are still in process of nominating deacons for our upcoming election. Those will be due back by next Sunday. Next Sunday is the deadline. So uh, if you haven't filled one out, please prayerfully do so. Uh, blank forms are available at the desk. Continue to pray about that, and um, we'll communicate when we're going to have an election soon. Okay, we have a team going to Nicaragua uh, in a few weeks, and one of the needs that's there are shoes. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to sponsor as a fellowship 60 pairs of shoes, and they're $12 a pair. So if you or your family would like to sponsor some shoes that James and Terry will take to Nicaragua, uh, please let us know. Our goal, again, as I said, is to take uh, 60, to send 60 with them. Also, baby bottles. Someone asked me, when are those due? They're due next Sunday as well. We have empty bottles that you can fill this week if you'd like to participate in that ministry to the Pregnancy Resource Center. Students D now, 2020, well, I guess all of them are over there. <laughs> but our disciple now for high school students is approaching, so parents sign them up. That's March 13th through the 15th. Then the other announcement, March the 27th through the 29th, we're going to the Appalachian Trail for our annual mission there. One thing we're doing differently this year, as well as serving on the gap, we may have an opportunity to do some trail cleanup for a nearby camp. So if you're interested at all in doing something like that as part of the trip, let me know. Um, and we'll form a team and either on Friday or Saturday do some work along the trail as well as feeding the through hikers like we normally do who are um, hiking through on the trail. So a little different aspect to the ministry there. and We're grateful to be going again. That's March 27, 28, and 29. Okay, our Deacon of the Week is not Kyle Kane. I don't know why I looked over there. He's to the right. <laughs> it's Jackie Wayne. Brother Jackie, would you come and share with us, please, our morning text? Good morning. Isn't God good? I mean, his, his timing is just perfect. In fact, I was talking to Pastor Neil before we came in here. When he sent me the text of what I'm supposed to read this morning, I'm going to take a minute and plug into our plug, take a plug for our Monday night Bible study because what I'm going to read just, I mean, it just carbon copies what we're studying on, on Monday nights as far as Ezekiel. So if you're looking for something to do on Monday nights, we got a Bible study. We'd love to, to have you. Get my glasses on where I can see. I'm reading from uh, Hosea chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. And, and this is just continually through the Bible as far as how God is always drawing his people back to him as far as the, 
the uh, Israelites wandered away, God drawed them back, and we're the same thing today. We're always wandering away, and God is continually trying to draw us back. So, Our verse says, Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind. And to me, that kind of that's like what we say today, we're just chasing the wind. I think it was Bob Seger said, still running against the wind. They were doing it this, and we're still doing it today. He daily increases lies and desolation. Also, they make a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord also brings a charge against Judah, and he will punish Jacob according to his ways. According to his deeds, he will recompense him. He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spoke to us. That is, the Lord God of hosts. The Lord, is the Lord is his memorable name. So you, by the help of your God, return. Observe mercy and justice, and wait on your God continually. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity this morning to be in your house. Father, to, to gather together, to, to study your word, to, Father, just to meditate on you. I just ask that you be with us here, be in the midst of us, open our ears, minds, and hearts, Father, just to glean from it what you want us to get. And, Father, we give you all the honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand, we're going to begin our worship this morning with singing Victory in Jesus. Oh. 
don't worry, I'm not going to sing. I, I seen the panic in some eyes, so don't worry, I'm not going to sing. I'm going to introduce someone who is, but I'm going to do another uh, plug for our uh, Bible studies as far as Tuesday night. We're doing uh, David Jeremiah, and it's on the book of Signs. And again, just talking about how God's timing is just perfect. I want to read something real quick, and then Ian's going to sing, but you'll see in a second how these tie together. And the title of this section is More Than Conquerors. When you look back at the major wars that have been fought throughout history, there is almost always a single battle or event that served as the turning point, a specific, decisive moment that ultimately led to the victory or defeat. For example, most historians agree that the Battle of Gettysburg was the turning point in the American Civil War. The Norse victory in that battle was the key to victory in the war. Similarly, the Allied forces' surprise invasion of Normandy on D-Day was the beginning of the end of World War II. As members of God's kingdom, we have the comfort of knowing that a single, similarly turning point has already taken place in the war between Satan and God. That turning point was the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ever since that moment, God's victory has been assured, and Satan knows it. I remember hearing a story about Napoleon Bonaparte during his attempt to conquer every civilization in the known world. While meeting with his various lieutenants, he spread out a large map of the world and pointed to a single spot. Sirs, he said, if it were not for that red spot, I could conquer the world. That red spot represented Great Britain, the same nation whose armies ultimately defeated Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo. In a similar way, I can imagine Satan surrounded by his minions and talking about his plans for spiritual domination. I can see our enemy pointing to the hilltop of Calvary where Jesus' blood was spilled, and I can hear him say, if it were not for that red spot, I could rule the world. That red spot is what has made all the difference in our spiritual struggle against evil. The truth is that we don't have to live in fear of Satan, our enemy, nor do we have to live in fear of the uh, demons at his command. All we must do as soldiers in God's army is take our place in the spiritual battle to which we have been called and stand. And that wonderful news, we can stand because we've been armed with the truth that God's ultimate victory over Satan has already been won. Right now, you and I are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And to, say, and to that I say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 7. Also, just uh, real quick, I want to, Psalms 127.3 says, children are, are a gift from God. And in the second part of that, it says, the fruit of the womb or a baby is a reward. And I'm going to tell you right now, as a grandpa, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing your four-year-old grandson excited about coming to church with grandma, wanting to sing about Jesus, learn about Jesus, that's that, that's a reward. So I just wanted, okay, now I'm going to let, let you hear someone who came to sing for you. All right, Ian. Who shall separate us? 
shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, dishonor or danger or sword. No.
knew better than to sit down. If you'll stand, in case anybody was wondering, Ian just turned four. Is that not incredible? Um, I hope that was a blessing to you, because um, I know it certainly was to me. Let's sing together, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. gift that Jesus was and Lord I pray that we'll be encouraged this week to know that we can truly conquer anything God because the greatest battles already been conquered when you rose from the grave God Lord you lived a perfect life knowing that we would never come close to living a perfect life God but you loved us and died for us anyways Lord remind us of that this morning as we open your word in this time of study be with Neil God as he um, just brings your word and Lord, I lift up our youth who are over in the youth building. Lord, Bill Bryson as he um, preaches Philippians to them this morning, God. Um, Lord, we just pray for our youth and for our children and for Bryson and Erica as they lead those ministries. God, that you will be magnified in all that we do. We love you and praise you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Children are dismissed with Miss Gina in the back for Children's Church. Amen. You'll turn to the book of Genesis, please. I know uh, the Wayne family, JJ and Heather, good to see you. And Ian, what a blessing. Shannon and Jackie and Miss Wayne. Uh, 
reminds me that the scriptures do say a little child shall lead them. And also that unless we become as children, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is made up of such as that. So may we, like Ian, have the willingness and the boldness to sing and to share and to worship and to serve the Lord uh, the way he calls us to. Genesis chapter 22 and 23, those of you who who were here last Sunday know that last week um, I bit off more than I could chew with this great passage that highlights a turning point in Jacob's life. He had several crucial and significant turning points. One at Bethel, we looked at a couple of weeks ago. And then one here where God wrestles with Jacob. We ask the question, why is this story here? Why does God have this in the Bible? I truly believe that one of the questions we are to ask as we approach Jacob's story and how God is forming him and growing him and shaping him, one of our questions has to be, what kind of person am I becoming? Not what do you do, but more importantly, what kind of person are you becoming? Are you a child in the hands of God, your father, the potter, being formed and shaped to be more like him? And last week we saw that God is growing Jacob. He's changing Jacob. And Jacob illustrates some principles of growth that we found we find throughout the scriptures in other characters. So my points last week are well my points are going to be this week, but we're going to move to some of those a little bit later down down the line in, in the in the two week message. Last week we saw that God is growing his children in humility, humility. We notice that in Jacob's prayer life, you could see that he really is more humble and dependent and broken than he's ever been. He's afraid to meet Esau, his brother, uh, without God and God's intervention in his life. And so last week we looked at the great prayer that forms the first part of this and how Jacob, like a child, says, God, if, if you don't help and intervene... I'm lost here. I'm defeated here. So he's growing in humility. He's also growing in perseverance. And we touched on this one a little bit. We're going to go back to that. He's growing in perseverance. Jacob is becoming spiritually tougher and stronger. Because God has a plan for him to persevere until the very end. He's got many more battles to fight. So God wounds him and wrestles with him in order to change him and strengthen him to finish well. So he's growing in humility and perseverance. He's also growing in some other areas. He's growing in sufficiency in that he's finally reached the point where this grasper and reacher and wrestler is is finally found in God alone the blessing that he really needed and was seeking. 
He's growing in sufficiency. I hope to show you that. He's also growing in generosity because as he feels more sufficient and content in God, that frees him up to be a blessing and to be generous. We're going to see he is becoming more generous than he's ever been as he moves from being Jacob to becoming Israel, a great person, and through him a great nation. Then last, we're going to see that God is growing his children in worship. That all that God does and all he's taking you through, if you ever ask, why is this happening to me? And we often ask that. This is happening ultimately so that you will worship and honor and praise God. So that's where we're headed. Now I want to start in the text I want to read this morning. Let's, let's pick up with verse 13 of Genesis 32. Genesis 32, 13. You're going to see through, as I read this, how God is growing Jacob. And I hope and pray, as I said, that you will notice in your own life, the light bulb will go off. Hey, this is how God is also growing me. This is the direction we're headed, and Jacob illustrates this. So Genesis 32, 13. He's in the midst of sending ahead of him to Esau this massive amount of appeasing gift. He's buttering him up. You might even see he's bribing him. I mean, in, in this particular culture, this would be the equivalent of, I'm going to send a bunch of money ahead of me so that when I get there, they'll be happy to see me and they won't kill me. You know, nothing says I love you like cash, right? <laughs> so he is saying, look, Esau, <laughs> I'm praying to God and I'm trusting God, but also, I also have my own devices. So I'm in the midst of reading in verse 13, the, just the wealth of what he sent ahead because he's afraid of meeting his brother. So verse 13 of Genesis 32, bear with me. We're going we're gonna to sum this up uh, pretty quickly. And you're like, yeah, right. So he spent the night there, and then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams. 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. That's a lot. So he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, hey, pass on before me and put a space between the droves. You know, spread it out where it'll look like even more than it is. He commanded the one in front, saying, When my brother Esau meets you, and he asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going? To whom do these animals in front of you belong? That you shall say, These belong to your servant. Notice he also uses his language very carefully. I'm not your brother. I'm your servant, Jacob. It's a present sent to my more careful language, my Lord Esau. And behold, he's behind us. So then he commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed these droves, saying, after this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. For he said, I will appease him. 
Because for 20 years he's dreaded this meeting. He thinks Esau's going to kill him. And, and honestly, what does Jacob deserve at this point? I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face and perhaps he will accept me. What all of us deeply long for is acceptance before God and other people. And you see Jacob piling droves and droves, hoping that his brother finally accepts him. So the present passed on before him while he himself spent the night in the camp. And now he arose that same night and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children... And he crossed the fort of Jabbok, and he took them, and he sent them across the stream. And he sent across whatever he had. And this is, this is pivotal. He was left alone. You know, some major things will happen between you and God if you will ever just get alone. Get alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. A midnight Wrestling match with God is what this is. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. Jacob was tough. He was stubborn. He was relentless. He was not going to let go. So God touches, just with a touch, his thigh, and it dislocates the thigh while he wrestles. So God is obviously the superior being here because just with a touch, he can maim Jacob. I mean, if Bennett and I wrestle, and Bennett defeats me, he's nine years old, for those of you who don't know, then I've let Bennett win the match, right? I mean, let's hope that I'm the superior physical being here. So God is superior and more powerful than Jacob had imagined, but he's, he's going at it. And so with just a touch, he dislocates his hip. And then he says, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You cling to him with all of your faith and all of your trust and all your might until you receive that ultimate blessing. You do that by faith. He said, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Confess who you are. We said this last week. Own it. Own that you're a deceiver. Own that you're a liar. Own that you are a grasper, as Jacob was. And God will change you. Look at verse 28. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but you are now Israel, one who strives with God. For you have striven with God and with men, and you've prevailed. You've, you've won the victory by submitting to God. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Then Jacob asked him, and he said, Please tell me your name. And he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there God blesses him. Now, I'm reminded of Paul, who was Saul. God also wrestled with him. And defeated him and blinded him and wounded him on the road to Damascus. Remember that? Remember Paul said, who are you? Jacob says, who are you? What is your name? And he doesn't get an answer. And there are lots of reasons we could 
discuss as to why God doesn't owe Jacob anything. He doesn't give him anything. As far as this particular request goes, but when, when Saul says to the bright light of Christ resurrected, he says, who are you? Do you remember what the answer was? I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And if you were to pin me down and say your whole life hinges on who you think this was, this is, we'll never know the answer to heaven, but I truly believe this is an Old Testament a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. I think this is what theologians would call a Christophany. A pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, the true angel of the Lord wrestling with Jacob at this place called Peniel because in verse 30, Jacob realizes, he says, I've seen God face to face and yet, surprisingly, I've lived. My life has been preserved. So, the sun rises on him. It's a new day in more ways than one. Just as he crossed over Penuel and he, and he was limping. You know, he touched me, right? <laughs> and he goes limping. He's never the same. And he limps. He's got scars for the rest of his life, as some of you do. And he's limping, but he's headed in the right direction. And the sun is rising. Therefore, to this day, there's a memorial. The sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip which is on the socket of the thigh because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Then there's this shift, this transition. Ah, now he lifts up his eyes, which in Scripture is, notice how many times in the Psalms, he lifts up his eyes, he, he can see again, he's a new man and there, there's new life and energy, and, and God is dealing with him. And he looks, and there's Esau. There's those 400 men he had heard about. What's this going to bring? So he divided the children, and Leah and Rachel, and the two maids, and he put the maids and their children in front. He's crazy. <laughs> Women and children, he puts them in the most dangerous position, right? What's he doing? That doesn't make sense. But this does make sense. Follow, follow with me. Um, he put the maids and the children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. But then he himself passed on. He goes ahead of them. He puts himself at the most risky, dangerous position because now he's ready. Now he's wrestled with God. Now he has the confidence and strength that he needs. And so he passes on ahead of them and he bows down to the ground seven times until he comes near to his brother. And Esau, look at verse 4, it's a beautiful verse. He runs to meet him, he embraces him, and he falls on his neck and he kisses him and they wept. Reconciliation. It is well with my soul. Back with my brother. He's not going to kill me. He's welcomed me. He's accepted me. He loves me. Look at this. He lifts up his eyes and he sees the women and the children. He says, who are these These with you? And he says, the children whom God has, God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids came near with their children. They bowed down and 
Leah likewise came near with her children, and they bowed down. And after they're all just bowing down. Joseph came near with Rachel; they bowed down. Uh, I emphasized that last week too. It's still good today. He he said, "Why do you, what do you mean with all this company which I've met?" And he said, "I wanted to find favor in the sight of my Lord." But Esau said, "I've got plenty." I've got plenty, my brother. Let, let what you have be your own. You know, could this be, could it be that God has answered Jacob's prayer earlier in the story? And that while God's doing his work in Jacob, guess what? God's also doing a great work in Esau. See, when you struggle and wrestle with how you're going to approach and deal with all the people around you, don't underestimate the fact that, hey, God, God's working in you, but He's also working in the other person as well. And you need to pray that He will work in the other person. Because I'm amazed. We, you know, this, this emphasizes Jacob and what God's doing in Jacob. But, hey, He's also working in the life of Esau. Esau has a heart of forgiveness. Esau has plenty. So behind the scenes, God's been working in ways that we don't have explained in the text. That's hopeful, isn't it? And then Jacob continues, no, please. I brought all this stuff for you. you got to take it, right? He says, no. If now I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand. For I see your face as one sees the face of God, and you have received me favorably. Please take my gift, which has been brought to you, because, look, God has dealt graciously with me. And that ought to be everybody's personal testimony. You know what? As I look over my life, God has dealt graciously with me. I haven't gotten what I deserved. I've gotten grace and blessing. It's what Mr. Jackie was saying earlier, that he's blessed to have such a family and such, such grandchildren and children. That's the testimony of Jacob. God has dealt graciously with me because I have plenty. I've got enough. And so he urged him. And so Esau, hey, they both got plenty. And now Esau has even more because of the graciousness in both of their lives. I want to skip down to verse 20 and I want to notice or point out that the whole, this part of the narrative, now the story's not over. Oh man, it's, you know, it's never over until we die and go to heaven. But he has found the only safe place that there is to find and that's refuge and worship in the true king who is God. So this particular scene in the story ends in worship because he, he erects an altar there and he calls it, The Lord will be my God, El Elohe Israel. So this ends like every day and week and month and life should end with, with an altar and us worshiping at that altar. Because of who God is and what God has done. 
So do you see what God did because he loved Jacob and had a plan for his life? God was willing to fight with Jacob and inflict pain in Jacob's life in order to develop spiritual perseverance so he could press on toward the call of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, for the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus. God loves us enough to wrestle with us to bring us to this point. To bring us to the point of surrender and brokenness and to come to the end of ourselves. God is sovereign and if you got up here and shared how you got to the point in which you're sitting in worship at Glenlock Baptist Church on a Sunday morning, it's because God loved you enough to, to wrestle with you to bring you to this place. You see it throughout Scripture. To reach perseverance and to grow in perseverance, pain has got to be part of the process. The New Testament equivalent to this in the Apostle Paul's life, and I'll just read this, Romans chapter 5 has this same progression. We've been justified by faith. In other words, accepted by faith. Not because we've sent a whole bunch of stuff ahead of us that, that God will accept. Not our devices, but by Christ and, and trust in Him. We now have finally peace with God. And it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but listen, He says, We also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation will bring about perseverance. And pers tribulation, God wrestling with you in all the ways that He does, will bring perseverance into your life. Perseverance will develop proven character, molding and shaping, and then proven character will give you hope, and hope will never disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God giving us perseverance through the circumstances and events of life that He controls so that we will have a hope for a home that can never be... So to shift me from hoping in all the stuff that I've sent ahead to appease Esau to send me instead trusting in the God who's already done a great work in Esau's heart. And just as God doesn't need any of our stuff to present to him because all we have to offer anyway, is brokenness and strife. We too are seeking to appease someone who has a right to be angry and wrathful, but we find peace and acceptance and favor by surrendering, by surrendering to God and accepting His terms, which is, as Jackie already said, the the blood of Jesus Christ. He's growing us in perseverance. Hey, he's growing us in sufficiency. I love this statement that both brothers make. God has graciously dealt with me and I have enough. I have enough. 
God had blessed him with children. God had blessed him in every aspect. God had blessed him with you know, the ability to, to, to come home again. And Jacob, through this process, has learned the sufficiency of God by learning the insufficiency of himself. Before you can learn the sufficiency of God, you've got to understand the insufficiency of yourself. Hey, it, God didn't just wrestle with him to bring him to this. He experienced it over the last 20 years of his life. And all that he went through with Laban. In the New Testament, we find Paul telling us that God's grace is sufficient for you. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because he's enough. My God shall supply all of your needs, Paul says, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul also tells us that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good work. He promised, he's promised to give us the whole kingdom. We've got to come to the point where we say to ourselves, if I never see another sunset, if I never get to drink another cup of coffee, <laughs> and on and on and on, if I were to die today, I would have had enough. Have you come to that point? Jacob thought he might die this day. He says, I've got enough. I'm content. I have all that I need in him. The hymn writer says, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. This then grows, now that he's found finally contentment and sufficiency in God, what does that, that frees him up to be generous? It empowers generosity to know that you have enough in Christ and Christ alone. Jacob has been transformed from being a grabber to a giver. That's what his name meant. You know, just reaching for the next thing, grasping for that blessing. That summed up who he was. And now he's releasing it all? He's giving his life away. It is more blessed, Jesus said, to give than to receive. But what empowers me to give? My life, my soul, my all. Love so amazing does that. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So please, take my gift. We're not just speaking financially. Take my, Ian this morning, take my gift. <laughs> Here it is. I'm going to sing. I'm going to worship. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. Then last of all, God grows his children in worship. Let's not miss, as I said earlier, as I read through it, and I'm coming through loud and clear now, aren't I? Jacob builds a physical altar 
and, and his testimony is, God, you brought me through so much. You truly are my God. Now, all of us are worshiping someone or something. We all have a God. And all those other things that we worship, because we are born to worship, we're going to find something. Those other things are idols. They are substitutes for the one true and living God. And Jacob at times misplaced priority and a lot of different things in his life. But as, he's, as, as God has wrestled with him and formed him and allowed him to, to, to have some really tough days and some tough consequences, but God's brought him through and he's found that God has provided and God's been gracious and God's been sufficient, he, he here builds an altar and basically says, God, you're going to be God and my life is for you. And so the highest thing, the most noble thing, the reason that we, for which we're created is to worship Him. And that's how this story ends. Or at least this part of the story. I keep emphasizing that. You read on, He's going to go through some very difficult and challenging things. But before I finish... <clears throat> I want to go back to something that I read through earlier, and that's verse 4 of chapter 33. Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Does that remind any of you of another story in the Bible that also deals with a father and two brothers? There was a family in a parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, and there was a brother in that particular parable that he left home too. But unlike Jacob, Jacob left home with nothing. This son left home with everything. Because he, like Jacob, he was a grabber. But what did he want? He says, I want everything, what, right now. You give it to me now. And so he left with everything. But he, like Jacob, had some difficult things happen in his life. And if Laban, his father-in-law, was Jacob's pig pen where 20 years he came to his senses to return back home, we know that in the parable of the prodigal son, a famine came, and he was so hungry that he was beginning to long for what the pigs were eating. And what does it say? It says he came to his senses, and he says, I know what I'll do. I'll go home. And he, like Jacob, takes this journey home. Well, who's Jacob worried about? Jacob is worried about Esau. But who's the prodigal worried about? He's worried about his father. So he's got his speech ready. Just like Jacob had his speech ready for Esau, the prodigal's got his speech ready too. Remember what it was? It was kind of similar to the speech that Jacob gave to Esau. I know what I'll say. When I get to my father, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to pour out my heart. I'm going to say, I, I'm sorry. I've blown it. I repent. It's interesting that when Jacob sees Esau, after he's wrestled with God, done that 
true wrestling that all of us have to do individually with who matters most. It's interesting that Jacob says when he and Esau come together, seeing you is like seeing the face of God. Is that interesting to you? Because when Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son and the father welcomes him home, what does the father do? The father does what Esau does in verse 4. It says the father runs out to meet the son. The father embraces him. The father kisses him. And the father calls the whole family to have a huge party to celebrate this son who, like Jacob, was dead but now he's alive He was gone, and now he's found. But there's somebody who doesn't want to come into the party. He doesn't want to worship. He doesn't want to celebrate grace. It's the older brother who represents the religious self-righteous who do not want to celebrate the gospel. We have here, I really believe... And I don't want to press this too far, but I can't read this without thinking of what Christ did for us and the essence of the good news. The good news is that God has come down in Christ. And I mentioned this last week. Christ himself went through a personal war on our behalf. Not only is God willing to fight me for my soul, God was willing to fight for me. And you see Jesus coming and wrestling with Satan, for example, in the wilderness temptation and responding every time, it is written, it is written. Why did Jesus do that? Because he had already surrendered to the Father for this victory. He had already given himself totally and completely to fulfilling his Father's will. You see him wrestling with these religious leaders throughout his life. And these religious leaders want to do what? They want to kill him. Then you see him wrestling in the Garden of Gethsemane and sweating drops of blood, surrendering to the cup, surrendering to experiencing on our behalf the wrath of God that was due us upon himself. And then from that death and darkness on the cross where he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As he he went through the, the, the cosmic struggle of bearing and becoming sin on our behalf, the sun rises on the third day and he is risen. So that every sinner will know. That truly was our our Waterloo. That was our turning point. Because there, sinners like you and me can see the face of God and not only can we live, but God the Father will accept me and welcome me and kiss me and embrace me. That's that's going beyond peace to, to adoption and love and acceptance on a joyful level that that Paul said should lead us all, in view of the mercies of God, present yourselves living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. This is your reasonable worship and service. That's what we do in response to the fact that 
Hey, if Jacob was relieved and overjoyed that Esau, Esau has accepted me. I feel like, he says, I feel like God has accepted me, Esau. I feel like you, as I hug you as my brother, it feels like God has welcomed me. Well, that's what Christ has made available for us through the gospel. The acceptance and blessing of God. So now, believer, hey, do like Jacob. You hold on by faith to the one who will never let you go until in Revelation 21 and 22 we get that final ultimate blessing of a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You hold on. It's that passage Mr. Jackie read in Hosea. Hosea, as God's people were wandering and straying, Hosea says, this is what you ought to do in light of Jacob's life. Return to God. Repent. Do what Jacob did. Do what the prodigal son did. This is painful because it's change and it's turning and it's confession and it's repentance, but you return to God. And then after returning to God, you observe kindness and justice. His acceptance of you ought to change you to love people and to treat them righteously. To be kind to them, to be gracious to them. Bennett didn't come this morning because he's under the weather. When I got to Sunday school class, I told his little class, Bennett's not going to be here this morning, he's sick. I told Randy that little Braden, who was sitting on the front row just a second ago, he came to me and he gave me a little heart-shaped lollipop. He says, give this to Bennett when you get home. Do you do that in the adult world or is kindness just something that children do? Look at the kindness of Jacob and Esau. Love people. Treat them righteously. Then he closes by saying, wait for God continually. That's what Mr. Jackie read. Wait for God continually. Trust Him, obey Him, lead the results to Him, hold on to Him by faith because He will never let you go. He will embrace you. He will kiss you. He will welcome you. And all of heaven rejoices over the lost sheep who has returned home and the lost son who finds reconciliation. Father, we're grateful this morning for this powerful story that is a true story. I have to believe that, of course, as God, you wrestled with Jacob, you, you also wrestle with us. Maybe not in this shape and form, but in just as powerful and spiritual a way. To bring us to our knees, to bring us to, to grow and to learn more about you and ourselves and, and ultimately to become in character like you. And we know the story's not over. We know there are more difficulties and there is grief ahead in Jacob's life. There's loss ahead in Jacob's life. And later on, Jacob will bless his own family at the end of his life. But all along, he holds on to you by faith. And you ensure that he finishes well. 
May that be our story also, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. You may now be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for your kindness and love and your grace. And God, thank you for the, the story today, God. The, it just reminded me how good you are, God. And a, a, a lot of times, God, I was in, in, in Jacob's position, God, and, and I didn't think I was going to come out, God, and I did. And you was with me all along, and I was worried over nothing. I'm just grateful just how kind you are to me. God, and I'm just grateful for Jesus and what he did for us, and he took our place on that cross, God. I just pray people will remember that, God, today as we give. The things I ask in the name of Jesus, amen.